Some of you are already starting off with a yawn. <laughs> I can only go uphill from there. So, <laughs> so welcome, everyone. First of all, welcome. <clears throat> so we are uh, fully involved now. I think this is the fifth or so talk on this series. Uh, relating and looking at the ways that we are manifesting ourselves in the world from the conditionality of our past, which we'll talk about tonight. Uh, but uh, just as a, to change metaphors, which sometimes helps, I think, in, in just jolting us or so that we can re-perceive the problem, I want to uh, talk about it slightly differently at the beginning of this talk. <clears throat> and then we'll go from there. Could everybody just sit down? <laughs> is the mic on? No, the mic is not on. <laughs> Thank you. I want to talk about it uh, from now, with a capital N. The whole of the spiritual journey has to do with that noun, now. The unconditioned you might, if, you, if you think of now as the center of a, a series of concentric circles, right? the unconditioned is the dead center. The unconditioned is not formed. It's formless. That is, it's not built upon objects. There's no reference, and therefore there's no subject. And so things are together uh, completely and absolutely. Now, now expresses itself out of that unconditioned with the first ripple as awareness. Awareness has the capacity to know. The center of the circle, absolute now, does not have the capacity to know. But the first concentric circle is the expression of that unconditioned and having the capacity to know. It sees and knows. It doesn't know intellectually, it knows immediately. It's this kind of knowing, that something just passed between in the air. That's not a thought. That's an immediate knowing. From there, awareness, and from that knowing, starts becoming, or can become, confused. It can turn its back to the absolute melting pot of dead center, and it can start from the knowing, start thinking. And as the thoughts emanate from that, it starts turning its back on the dead center of the unconditioned and starts thinking in terms of what it knows. Now, that's a different kind of knowing. And as it involves itself in what it knows, it gets further and further away from the dead center of now. Or it seems to. Understanding that no matter where we are in relationship to these concentric circles, everything is always in present tense. We just, awareness gets confused. Consciousness, from which awareness emanates, it's confused. It thinks of itself as being separate from the melting pot of dead center now. And 
in order to have its individuality, it places distance between itself and now. This is called thoughts of time. Thinking past, thinking present, thinking future. All of those thoughts distance ourselves from present, which has no thoughts and which is always and eternally now. So just let this get, get a sense of the landscape of this, right? Now, we find ourselves out on the peripheral, the periphery, where we have long since seemingly turned our back away from the present and are much more excited about what the future is going to be for us, where this present moment is going to take us. And so we have lost ourselves in the belief system of time. But where is time emanating from? It's emanating from now. And so all things that are believed from time are themselves emanations of now. So you might say time is kind of a fiction. It's a fantasy. It's a belief in an imagined world. And even those of us who remain on the periphery of all this, we, we can see pretty clearly that time is, is an imaginative response of the mind. That there is no past, there is no future. And in those perhaps rare moments in our meditation, we can actually know the passing of time from the present. And yet, we get up out of the meditation and we continue to lose ourselves in the belief of the imaginative response of future and past and present. Present, in this sense, is not the now of presence. It's the time sequence of past, present, future. And so if we live in the present, we live in the present as a thought between the past and the future. And much of our time is spent dwelling upon what we have been and how we can get rid of much of the burdens of what we have been and where we're eventually going, which will be in a better place than where we are now. In fact, that, that mental frame of reference is what we call our lives. Now, all of this dependent origination tells us how we fooled ourselves. That's its point. It shows sequentially what happened so that we lost our bearing. That we don't have, we're confused. We call that ignorance. Losing our bearing. Thinking that time is true. Thinking that we are outside of the present. Thinking that we need to get back to the present. Thinking that we have or are outside of anything that, thinking that we are outside of anything, period, is all confusion, mass confusion. So when we get in our spiritual journey, we're at the peripheral. We're like, you know, we're way out there. Not because, in fact, we are distant from now, but because we believe ourselves to be distant from now. That's what makes us so far astray. The fact is, and never forget this fact, that everything that is happening in your life will always be, has always been, and can never be otherwise than now. All your thoughts emanate from now, all of your reactions, everything is continually arising from dead center. We just believe them to be otherwise. So how are we going to get back to dead center when we already are at dead center? 
That is the paradox and confusion that spiritual journey holds. That's what makes it seem so... sort of the Cheshire cat, you know, that all you see is the grin, but you don't see the body, and then you see the tail, but it's like, what is all this? But remembering that what we're doing in this sequenciation of dependent origination is discovering the causality of our ignorance, how it is that we became ignorant, what did we lose ourselves in that created the sense that we were separate from anything or outside of anything ever. So you see, the perceived problem is that we think of ourselves as being distant from present, from present tense, from now. And we are lost in the, in the, just the, the vast imaginative spread of our thinking. And when we bring our spirituality into those thoughts, we also conjure up where we are now and how we have to get back to now. And so all of that actually creates more distance from now, doesn't it? Because we're adding our imaginative reaction called spiritual journey to the thoughts that have kept us distant or seemingly have kept us distant our whole life. So we're adding more thoughts to this thing. What the sequenciation of dependent origination will show us is that we have to change paradigms. If we've journeyed out in imagination, we have to cease the imaginative response, or at least we have to know we're imagining. Once we know we're imagining, we're back to the first expression of the emanation of now. Remember I said it was knowing. So we can live at dead center, the first expression, the first emanation of of presence, is the knowing. And as we sit in meditation and that knowing arises, so that everything is known, but there is no knower. It's just the knowing of what it is that's transpiring. That's moving way back, very close to dead center of now. I mean, just logically get this down. How can we not be in present tense? How could that possibly be? How could we not be now? I mean, how could you be then? If you were then, I wouldn't see you. You wouldn't see you yourself, would you? You would be back somewhere. Right? This is all present tense. But you can see how conditioned we are to think otherwise. So the first talk in this series about the chains of sequenciation was on ignorance, which is the dismissal or the betrayal of the dead center. It's turning your back from the sun, you might say, and casting a shadow of yourself away from the sun. Now the cast of the shadow of yourself, which you now have a name and a memory associated with, becomes distant from the sun. You're out there from the sun. Now, if the first step out has to do with befuddled confusion and turning our back to the present, 
in an absolute presence, then guess what the remedy is? Turning around. When we turn back towards the light, in any time there is awareness, there is some degree of orientation to the present because the emanation of awareness is coming from that dead center. So when we are feeling most alive in ourselves, when we are most aware, you can be sure that you are in proximity to the present, and then you can use that torch, that light of awareness, to look upon the confusion of our situation and no longer cast the shadow of disbelief in ourselves that seems to indicate that we are very distant from anything. But as long as we look out of our eyes, all we see is distance, form, memories, perceptions. The emanation, the, the environment, the environment of ignorance, when looked, when not seen, the environment of ignorance brings forth a collection, a gathering system, all of which is not seen. This is the environment of not seeing now. This is the way that it begins to manifest so that we feel as if we are so distant from the present. This is the manifestation. The first is just not, is not acknowledging the present at all. And as soon as you do, then there are thoughts. And thought, as soon as you don't acknowledge the presence, the next linkage in dependent origination called mental formations, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, appears. So based upon our unwillingness to look or discern or see, mental formations arise. They're called form-creating facility of mind. I like that. The form-creating facility of mind. Once we have been lost in ignorance, forms start arising. Now, how does that happen? Because in dead center present, there weren't any forms. Now, as we move outside and the world starts taking its configuration of multiplicity, Forms arise. What's that? That formation is the dependent origin is a sequencing of dependent origination. Why, when I look out of my eyes, does it seem like everybody there is there and I'm here? What you see? How? Where? What's the confusion? The ignorance is very obvious because it's based upon the confusion of the assumption of my perception. But how does that, how do you form? How do I form within all of this? What, how does that formation actually take place? Well, it takes place from the next linkage, which is mental formation, sometimes called sanskara. San means together. Skara means making. We're together making. That is, we make things in multiple forms. It includes perception and thought and attitudes, beliefs, the story of oneself, on and on. It involves virtually every mental phenomena. It's also called karmic formations. Now, karmic formations, karma is just a force of mind. It's a force of habit. So why would these mental formations also be called karmic formations? It's because they have such momentum, they have been invested in with such belief that when they arise, we, lost in ignorance, don't ever scrutinize them. Long since have we been willing to do that. 
We just ride the wave of where they're taking us. A very uncomfortable way. Because they include emotions, they include attitudes, they include assumptions, they include beliefs, they include just the, everything that arises on, on that particular level and environment of ignorance. And because we are not looking by seeing things as arising from now, from awareness, we take them to be true in and of themselves. You see, the truth comes because we have invested in each object time. Which is ignorance. Because there isn't any time. <laughs> Look around. How do you know something? You know something because you learned it before. And therefore the memory of that object rests mentally with you. And even though you may not have seen that specific object, our mind has the capacity to generalize out and say, oh, this is a clock and so is that thing on the wall. And although I've never seen the thing on the wall, I know it's a clock. Because my past tells me it's a clock. It forms the shape that invites that knowledge forward. But it doesn't stop there. It invites an emotional response that also comes to bear upon that object. And as that object then takes form as shape, because it's been cast in the, in the mold of my memory, which is time, I can now call it something. And as soon as I call it something, clock, the I that is calling it something arises with that name because I'm the one that knows the clock. How do I know it? Because it's in my memory. My memory tells me it's clock. So as clock arises in memory, so does the person arise within memory. Now, clock and person is what I'm left with. But believe me, it's not the end of the story because look around. It's not just clock and you, it's everything. It just takes one word to set the whole of it off. With one word, you then move in association with that word like a computer, which the mind is. The circuitry lights up. And if you have clock, you have wall, you have time, you have what time is it. It's like, oh my God, I've got to do something with this talk to speed it because it's, it's got that. And you might be looking and say, how much longer will he be talking? <laughs> and then an emotional response comes from however you identify that clock and the feelings that you offer where the clock or what the clock says in terms of time. And then the emotional responses occur from that feeling tone of pleasant or unpleasant. And then everything gets solidified in terms of an attitude. God, eight o'clock, this is when I put my children to bed. They're without me tonight. Oh my God, I'm a bad parent. It just goes out like that, you see. Where is the present? I don't know. Present, what are you talking about? I thought we were here to experience the present. <laughs> We've been washed away. We've just been, whew, a tsunami has hit us. And we are so far distant from anything that's true because our minds have created a system, a computer speed of light system, neurologically based, on which everything can be rested and, and known and interacted with, all from mental formations, all from our karmic 
our karma energetic display. The habit patterns. Long since have we given up actually willing, being willing to notice what we're doing, which would bring the present into these formations. We've just been riding the formations further and further out to sea. In this case, the waves go out to sea. They don't come to the shore. And we've been surfing them further and further from the shore. And then we hear, be present, stay present. And we try to do that. We try to bring ourselves, which is three concentric circles out, into the present and maintain the sense of presence three concentric circles distant from it. So now I'm going to be present. It's like looking through a pea shooter. You don't see much. And there's an enormous amount of judgment through that. It's a very small opening. It's a very small opening. But that distance begins to arouse a curiosity. Like, how can I open this space up so that we begin to feel the pleasures for lack of a better word, or perhaps the freedom of having some access to, to presence, to, to awareness, even if it's through a pea shooter. And then you also realize that you can't be mindful very much, that mindfulness is very temporary when, it's, when you're trying to reinforce it. Because you're too interested in the future and the past. We're not interested as a separate individual in the present. The present we fear. We're interested in the past and the future. That's what keeps us, that's where we thrive. That's what keeps us alive. That's what keeps us toned, distinct, defined. That's what keeps life meaningful. And so if I'm going to get involved in this thing, I want to be way out on the periphery of this. I'll kind of just feel the warmth of the present. I don't really want to like dive in. I don't want to get my wings singed. I don't want to become crippled by this. I mean, he talks about nothing. He talks about emptiness. That sounds like I'm going to get my wings singed. So I'll keep myself, I'll keep myself composed, which means I'm a product of time which means that I have to constantly think about time in order to keep myself manifesting, which means I can't possibly be mindful very long because mindfulness is the absence of thinking about time. So what am I to do? Well, this is where the spiritual rubber meets the road of authenticity, of sincerity. You can do nothing. You can maintain your distance and play with the spiritual journey because it's fun. And you can do, you can do outlying things. You can gain powers. You can read people's thoughts if you learn how to do that. You can become an intuitive and psychic and you will become that or can become that if you set your intention and those are all peripheral ways that we build upon ourselves to keep ourselves different from the real journey which is a journey back to the present in which you have to release yourself in order for it to really affect you which means that you start looking. But 
if we start looking from motivation, the sense of self is behind the looking. And the motivation will be as distant from the center of the circle as we were if we were thinking about the food we want to eat for dinner. Just because you're thinking about the present doesn't make you any closer to the present. I was reading a I was reading a, a, a speech by uh, Eckhart, uh, not Eckhart Tolle, but Meister Eckhart, a Christian mystic of, I don't know, 13th or 14th century or something. An amazing, amazing, amazing man. And he was talking about essentially the different ways we keep tripping over our spiritual lives. how any act of will, mental formations is also called volitional intentions. Any act of will, even at the most spiritually, uh, around the most spiritually enticing subject, is no distant, more, it's no closer to God, in his words, than profanity. He says, you have to lose all reference to where you are. You see, you just want, you can just see it play forth. You know, from, from nothing, something arises. From nothing, something arises. How does that nothing arise? It doesn't arise from it being something. It arises from us making it something through our sanskars, through our mental formations, through our memory, through our identification with it, through our reactions to it. All of the world is, comes from this fathom-long body, said the Buddha. It's not out there. If it were out there, it could never be merged It's not out there. And it's because it's not out there that we can reverse the process. It's because it's not out there that when we begin to become aware of how we have created this mess, if it was out there, then how could we ever even discern what, it, what was being done? Because half of it wouldn't even be ours to undo. It would be out there to undo. But because it's a hundred percent in here, it can be turned around. That's the good news. And where are we going? That's also the good news. It's nowhere other than where we've always resided. You're not going to have to relocate in the Mayan peaks in a cave somewhere, unless you want to. That's the good news. The bad news is that we have to look at the value, what we have been, what we have wanted from life, what we have tried to squeeze out of life, how we have been using life, and see it has all been to our disadvantage. Every last input. It's all been self-formation. And so when, you, when we start actually, actually asking those questions of it, like what am I getting from this? 
You see what you're getting. You're getting yourself. That's the first thing you're getting, which is pretty good. I mean, it hasn't all been bad, has it? <laughs> it hasn't all been bad. You get a known universe. You get a chance to read the stars and to imagine the disposition of the galaxies. You get differentiation, and with differentiation, you get companionship. Because what you're distant to, you can close the distance down. You can never merge, but you can close the distance down, which becomes the goal of our lives is to close the distance down from objects. It's called desire. You get distance from silence. You get your noise, which serves you very well because it allows the distinction and definition to rule. But noise, of course, when it's believed in and not seen correctly, is believed as counter to silence, as an opposite of. And so silence feels as if a little awkward, not being in the ruckus of things. It's okay. We get our noise. We get empowerment and control. We get to tell people what to do, and we tell ourselves what to do. So when we turn back around, and we are the children of time, literally, the children of time. There's a pause as to whether we want to go in this direction. And believe me, no one, no one, people can encourage you by telling you that no matter what you're giving up, a far better environment waits. But no one should ever push you in that direction. You should never feel compelled or coerced because that is not at your, of your timing. This is of each of our timing. This has to be because of patience. If you ever feel compelled or pushed or cajoled, right? leave any scene that does that. This is an invitation to look. And the invitation comes when our heart has matured sufficiently in and with the limitations and the values of what we have gotten from our separation. It's because we don't want it anymore. Because we see the limitations outweigh the value. And what are the limitations? Pain, suffering, resistance, sorrow. These mental formations, we can start there. The entry point for most lay people is in their st with their states of mind. That's what welcomes them into the process of awareness because they can't live with this anymore. The pain of the state of mind, when it, be when you, it dawns on you, when you're willing to f look at it and say, my God, in some ways the first time you ever sat down and solved the state of your mind, the job was over. You can never forget that. And although you may have quieted it some, it's less noisy, perhaps you have quieted it considerable. Still, still it's not enough. Because what's burning through us at all moments, even if we are looking 
distant and afar and our use of time is the present. It never releases us from the grip of its emanation. How can it? It can't. And there's something in us that knows that to such a degree that it is intolerable for us to pass over or be passive to any sense of suffering. As it becomes more and more nuanced, it doesn't matter. We're going in that direction of ending it. That's it. Because the magnetic pull of the present is that strong. The rest is fiction. You see, it's like we've thrived on fiction and now we turn to the non-fiction list. Understanding the process. So how do we unwind this thing? I, that's what I wanted to spend most of the talk on, which I didn't, but maybe next week. We have to understand the process of habit formation, how it arises, how it occurs. How do we lose ourselves in the habits of our life where we're not seeing anymore? We're just going through the day, one domino falling into the next. The Buddha said it this way, a thought manifests as the word, the word manifests as the deed, just keep hearing this up level. The deed develops into habit. The habit hardens into character. Just from thinking, just from being ignorant and being passive to the ongoing attitudes of our life, it hardens. And now we get out of bed and we're anxious and we wonder how, where that anxiety came from. We get out of bed and we feel that we're a mistake, that there's something wrong with me. Even though you can't locate anything in the last week that was that you did something wrong, still there's this abiding sense that there's something wrong with me. How did that come? How did that manifest? Why has that got life in our psyche? And because there's something wrong with me is an affirm, affirmation, an assumption that I live with. Because it's there in me all the time, feeling. The feeling is always there. I wake up and see one object and it arises as the very character of my day. Then I say, oh, I have to hide from people so they won't see what is wrong with me either. And so I become very passive, very timid, very sitting on the back row last seat in the audience. Or I won't save, I won't bring my voice forward. Because that sense that there's something wrong with me is also something wrong with what I have to say or how I act or how I behave or everything in my character. And we are so ensconced in that belief, we believe it to such a degree that we are afraid to even admit it to ourselves because we think if we do, it'll be it'll crack the dam and we will be swept away. You cannot believe how sacred this belief can be 10, 20, or more years into practice. We don't want to see that. The emotions are not seen for what they are. It's a little bit, every once in a while you see in the news that some stain in a cloth has been taken to be Jesus' face. And they put it on eBay and somebody offers them $30,000 or it becomes a pilgrimage that hundreds of thousands of people go to. It's a cloth. It's a cloth. If we see it, 
for what it is, it's a cloth. If we see it for what it is, it's an emotion. If we see it for what it is, it is a thought. But if you let your mental formations run with you, then you have Jesus' face. I would sit in, I would, I would attend a Zen session. I attended several, but I remember you keep your eyes open in this particular style of Zen, and I would, there's a rug in front of me, and I was, have my, so you'd be sitting there, your eyes are open, and I would see patterns in the rug that I was sure were true patterns of a horse or a dog or something, and then I would relax my mind, look again, I could see nothing of that dog or horse. Or, but when I was looking at it, it was absolutely clear to me that somebody had marked a dog into the rug. Now look around. See the dogs and horses of our life. This is mental formation. This is mental formation. We have to understand the process of those habits and how they form and how we habituate because they offer us something. He offers us the security of knowing what something is. And as something becomes too very tragic and very dramatic, just simplify it down. This is just, if you want to untangle this web, if you move it into more noise and more reactivity, you're further and further from the dead center of now. If you just simple it down, come down into the feeling where the reaction took place. Just feel the feeling of it, the pleasant or unpleasant or neutral feeling tone of it. From there, we can be very relatively quiet as the drama plays forth. And we are simply resting with something very simple that quiets us immediately. And when these tremendous momentums of beliefs, like there is something wrong with me, come up, if they were formed from ignorance and from habit, the moment you invite awareness into that pattern, you are breaking the habit. And you are offsetting the ignorance with understanding. The willingness to look at oneself, no matter what those patterns are saying, and being patient with those patterns, just the willingness to see them, starts the whole thing moving in the proper direction. Because remember, where does awareness come from? From dead center. It's the first emanation of the unconditioned. It's dead center. And because it's dead center, it can lead us back to dead center. Unraveling all of the compounded patterns that we have forced upon our lives. And one final challenge I would offer is to ask yourself continually if the way you have arranged the world and the way you have arranged yourself within the world is true. Or does it just seem this way? And pursue that inquiry. Because you're now opening the door to the very fabric of ignorance itself. And you're inviting light through that question so that you begin to see those patterns of habit and conditioning for what they are through the question. It takes courage. 
we're not trying to eliminate mental formations. We're not trying to get rid of them. We're simply trying to learn about them. Once we learn about them, we break their habitual response and we dispel their ignorance. That happens as a byproduct from our curiosity. Just inviting our attention in, the willingness to look and see. May it be so. Can we sit for a minute or two? See, you, you wonder, I, I just often wonder what people think they're doing in their spiritual journey. What do you think you're doing? What do you think meditation does? It establishes irreversibly, irrevocably, the present. And from that pillar of presence called meditation, you see all movement arising. But that which sees the movement is itself not in movement. And what we do as individuals is moved into the movement without, what, without seeing the stability of presence from which the movement moves. Know enough about where this journey takes you that you can't be fooled or persuaded to take a a devious journey, or a different path. Okay, if there are any questions or comments, I'd be happy to... Yes. So the question is, when she's in the present looking at something, how does she know what is real? Does, does that question scare you? It does in the respect that I, I feel like I, I bring confusion to I feel confused, like I don't trust even myself. Right. So there can be some anxiety in that, right? Which is very common. I'm not trying to pin you. But... You're not, going, if you're not going to lose your knowledge base. Okay? You're not going to forget how to sit down in a chair. Okay? But to question what is real is a very sincere question. And it will take you as far as you want to go into that question. So it usually, we usually move as far into that question as fear will allow us to go. We get to a point where we think, oh my God, you know, everything's going to break down and we, from that sense of terror, we come back into the affirmation of back, back into our imaginative response, okay? So after a while, you get more and more curious and less and less fearful. And as that happens, you're willing to explore further and further out in range than you did before. So don't try to push yourself beyond, just let yourself be curious. Wow, that's interesting. I wonder what is real. Not I'm afraid that everything won't be real, but I wonder what is real. What is real about my life, about what I'm telling myself, about my inward assumptions about myself? What is all that? What is the truth of all of that? Right? You might want to stay with the truth rather than what is real because it, it, just, it's, it sounds like a nicer home. Right? Is this true, what I'm saying to myself? Because if it's not true, you can just let it go as being untrue, Right? If it's unreal, then there's a kind of losing our footing in some way, right? So is this true? All my assumptions, everything I'm saying to myself that I've learned to say because we have been 
our childhood has conditioned us into kind of a has locked us into a particular frame of reference for ourselves that is very very hard most people spend the rest of their life after the first 15 years of their life trying to unravel the, those 15 years and much of it most of it if not all of it is untrue right, so just take it see what's easily seen as being untrue and then go from there right don't scare yourself with these questions did you have a question Buying a house? Yeah. I, you have to... Or living... Oh, that, to me, uh, feels like looking into the future. Right. Okay. So how do the normal activities of our life fit into what I just said? Yes. Right? Right. Okay. So you can do it completely convinced in the separation of what you're seeing and the competition somebody might get the house before and the stress and all of the tension associated with that and whether I have the money and whether it's going to put me in debt and I've got to stay in this job all of that the accompanying storyline right of all of it which breeds the tension and right you could do that or you can buy the house you can look and discern from a quieter space whether this is the right move for me you get a discerning quality of it, you know whether you have enough money and it's, or not. You don't try to live in more house than you can afford or whatever. You just discern, you just see that. And then you purchase the home. It's, it doesn't deny any aspect of our living experience. It just puts it in perspective to what's actually happening. Right? That's all. You still call yourself your name. You still introduce yourself as your person you still have your history you just don't believe in that as being the truth of your you and the way that you once did it never comes back to being convincing anymore but in terms of functionality this is required you've got to have a name right so there you are hi I'm X Nice to know you. It do, it's not confu It's only confusing when you're asking questions from the sense of separation. It's not confusing when you're not in separation. Everything just moves very nicely, and you don't forget any of the of your of the responsibilities you have as a human being. Is there heart? Very good question. Thank you. Is there heart in the now? Okay. So this is an organ transplant. We start from mind only, right? And if heart seeps through the mind, it's because it feels good to, you know, give a dollar to somebody who has a real change or to help somebody. It feels good to you. So it's still kind of a mental frame of reference for your heart. When you switch and quiet the mind sufficiently so that the organ that now moves you is the quiet. It's not the heart in the sense of the beating organ. It's the heart is used as that which holds all things in quiet. And therefore, in quiet is not confused by separation. And therefore, acts in accordance to non-separation, even as it perceives or can perceive distance in time. So this thing, you might say the evolution is out of a mental frame of reference, 
mental frame of reference is me sitting here and you're sitting there and the calculated distance and all of that between us and all of the competing motivations associated with those perceptions to a sense of commonality and unity which is a given within quiet. It is not a con it's not induced. It's not uh, cultivated. It's not nurtured. It's a given. Okay? And so you, there's nothing you need to do except quiet the mind sufficiently in order for the heart to be there. And that's what's important, is that you're not missing anything. So you might say that the heart is a beat from the, from the absolute center. It beats from the absolute center. Whereas the mind takes its traction in time and distance in ignorance looking outward from the center. And that's all we got time for. So I want to thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.